0: Welcome to Behind the Scaffolding, a podcast where we talk to writing teachers about the hows and whys of what we do in the classroom, coming to you from the University of Michigan. I'm Gina Brandolino.
1: And I'm Angie Berkeley. Gina, it's been a minute. The last time we recorded an episode was, I think, the very week that the U of M closed because of COVID-19.
0: Yeah, you're right about that. And it's been a crazy slash wild slash awful slash lol sob semester since then. And unfortunately it slowed us down in getting this episode out, but we're happy to finally be bringing it to you now. We talked with our colleague at the Sweetland Center for Writing, Xu Lee, all about how she works with multilingual writers at Sweetland and in her classes. And she shared tons of useful insights and practical advice. Most of us know that the students in our writing classes, whose first language is not English, are often facing different challenges than our native speakers. And it can be tough to know how to best serve these students.
1: That's right, Gina. And Shuwen offers tons of practical advice, but also, and perhaps even more usefully, suggestions about what general pedagogical dispositions are most effective for working with multilingual writers as they build their skills and confidence. Shuen teaches multilingual and technical writing in the Sweetland Center for Writing, and she describes her teaching philosophy as focused on constructing writers' ethos and building classrooms as a dwelling place for everyone to flourish. Let's have a listen to our conversation with Shuen.
0: Shuen, could you start by telling us a little bit about your work uh, with multilingual writers at Sweetland?
2: Um, I started working with uh, the multilingual and also international students at Switzerland since fall 2016. Mm-hmm. So I taught college writing for international and multilingual students and also editing and style for multilingual and international students and also advanced writing for multilingual mm-hmm. and international students. And last year, we also invented a set of new courses just for students who are interested in technical and professional writing and communication. Uh, So we have a new course, technical and professional writing and in international contexts, and also technical professional presentation for international and multilingual students. Um, And also we Upgraded um, the 100 editing and style for multilingual international students to a 200 level. And also, we make it graded in order to benefit them more. That is quite an array of courses. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That well, is. we experimented a lot. Uh, yeah, uh, two years ago, we did a survey on 235 international students um, to figure out their needs, their latest needs. And we found that a lot of students in computer science or engineering or uh, in STEM in general—that's um, why they're interested in discipline-focused uh, writing. Yeah. Okay. Well, so
1: you mentioned the one course that you upgraded to a 200-level yeah. course, <laughs> and that um, you made it—you made it graded, which reminds me of one thing we were really interested in hearing you talk about, which was mm-hmm. feedback and mm-hmm. and grading, or or maybe not grading but marking. Um, like an essay or any piece of writing from a multilingual student, um, what what have you found to be some of the most effective ways to do that?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, also you know that my background is not in ESL pedagogy. my am PhD in rhetoric, scientific and technical communication, but as uh, International students in the past years and working with international students, I try to figure out my way of working with the multilingual and also international students. I think first we need to figure out their needs, okay, mm-hmm. and the real issues with their writing. And we know that writing is a complex activity, and writing for the multilingual students is even more complex. So the issues could be about writing in general, for example, organizing thoughts, developing thoughts, or selecting evidence or it could be about the language, for example grammar or collocations, or it could be um, some issues with writing for a particular audience, for example for an academic audience. So I think first we need to figure out what is the real issue for this student. If this issue is for writing in general, For example, we may teach them about invention strategies like clustering or mapping or free writing. Or if this is about writing for a particular audience, we may talk about the moves in academic writing or the expected genre features in professional writing to try to explain to students what is expected for a particular audience. And if this is a problem um, with the student's language proficiency, we can detect the errors in students' papers in different ways. And I do see the conflict between extensive marking and also minimal marking. Okay, <laughs> uh, And I think for graduate students, they expect a lot of feedback in their paper, almost every issue in their writing. Mm-hmm. Um, from my experience of working with the graduate students at the Switzerland Writing Workshops, I found that graduate students wanted you to point out every single error, and they can try to identify the patterns of their arrows, and then eventually develop their individualized coping strategies. Okay, uh, so I thought that's pretty effective, and that's what they wanted. However, I didn't see uh, extensive marking very effective for undergraduate students for some reason. I found that sometimes a lot of uh, marking in the student, undergraduate student paper may overwhelm that student. And some student developed a habit of relying on me to get the correct answer. And I found that students who progressed faster were those students who can develop an independent learning style. Okay, so gradually I stopped pointing out all the errors uh, and, cra- and correcting all the errors for the students. I will just highlight some kind of uh, um, errors that belong to a certain pattern, mm-hmm. okay, and let the students to correct or ask questions. So that worked pretty well for me uh, because it can also help students to ask questions about what they needed. How do you think about your students. What well, kind of strategies? Do you as you see were effective? talking about,
1: it's interesting what you're saying about graduate students and mm-hmm. how they expect every error to be marked. And I wonder if you think that it's because they've already developed, like they already have a path, and they probably already have a pretty good idea of the big stuff, right? Like the genre they're writing mm-hmm. in, and what their argument is, and what good evidence looks like, and all these sort of bigger issues. Mm-hmm. And so they're maybe more concerned with. I want this to be polished because they have Mm. all the other stuff sort of in line or in place. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I think, yeah, that's a good question. I think some graduate students say want their writing to be professional, okay? Mm -hmm. So really care about even the persona issues. Like it's Mm -hmm. not about comprehensibility, but they really want their writing to look professional. So they look Uh look like native speakers writing, okay? So that's your goal. Um, And some of them, well, um, they, are in, they are very interested in, in writing correctly or develop a good sense of writing from pursuing every single error, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Well, for the undergraduate students, I didn't see, well, just based on my empirical uh, experience, I didn't see that eagerness. Uh, more is about how can I make communication happen? How can mm-hmm. I make people understand my ideas? I just want to be understood. Yes. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I don't care about those grammar yeah. issues or whatever. Can you, can you see my thoughts? Can yeah. you understand me? And yeah. that's more important for them. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: can I convey my ideas? Yeah. And I mean, I, that's my feeling too when, when I'm marking my own papers is, you know, if I can understand a student's ideas, I don't need to correct every subject-verb agreement problem, right? Mm-hmm. But I think there are, and I am not one of these um, teachers, but I think there are probably teachers, maybe even teachers who will listen to this podcast who say, but I can't get to those those other issues about evidence or about topic sentences because I just can't get past the grammar errors. I find this to be almost unbelievable, right? Mm -hmm. That we can't read past grammar errors to sense. What do you think of that, Uh, you know, of teachers who take the stand, that I I just can't can't get at the deeper issues until I deal with the superficial issues?
2: Well, I think for some students that's a real concern, um, but not many students have that issue, especially for students at University of Michigan. Um, So if really grammar is a big issue, is, uh, is a barrier, the first barrier that the instructor needs to go over in order to understand that student. Then while well, we do need an ESL specialist to talk to the students about the basic sentence structure, okay, or maybe some collocation issues in order to help the student convey his or her ideas clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, honestly speaking, um, for the students I work in the past during the writing workshop, very few of them have those yeah. I would yeah. agree
0: with that. I completely agree. Yeah. I, I feel like it is a way for teachers who are frustrated to give it, to give it away. Like yes. I go, go fix this. I won't read it. Right. Go to Sweden. Yeah. Go to Sweden. <laughs> and I feel like it's very often like you're saying like, okay, well let's, let's adjust one part of the grammar. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but rarely is there just like such a, a wall of error that you can't get at the deeper issues. And to me, it seems like a, a way of abandoning the student
1: you know well and i also think that that the more i've worked with multilingual students who are who have some issues with grammar or whatever and the more i've learned about the kinds of errors they make the less different those errors seem than any other kind of error and i think that that oftentimes you know every writer has problems with their sentences or their sentences could be better mm-hmm. and i think that sometimes as as teachers and i speak for myself here too like there are some that I'm more used to than others, right? Mm-hmm. Like there, there are problems that native English speakers have that mm-hmm. I'm very used to seeing at the sentence level mm-hmm. um, and that are easier for me as a native speaker myself to look past, right? But the more I've kind of learned about other other patterns, you know, that, that the easier it is to kind of see past those.
2: Yeah, I also see the problem as a kind of a conceptual problem, um, for example, as an instructor, if you try to understand the student's paper, okay, you may be able to see the student's issues more clearly, and gradually you will be able to communicate with the student about the error. If you just feel uncomfortable with the error or right. getting yes. really angrier and angrier with the yes. errors, you will never see why the student had that errors, and you won't be able to communicate with the student about well the future improvement. So, I think it's uh, it's a struggle between the instructor and the students. And I do hope that instructors can see that students, especially for students who are new in this country,
0: Um,
2: and if you take a step further, to see their struggle, you will be able to connect with each other, yeah. and you will be able to work together. Otherwise, it's going to be a big frustration on both sides.
0: Yeah, yes.
2: to read just with
0: a little bit of generosity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a, just like, you know, just with a, a little bit of, I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can I ask what might be a stupid question?
2: Oh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's collocation?
2: Oh, collocation? <laughs> well, that's that's what I learned uh, back uh, in China when I was a student, collocation, like, for example, in response to, okay, like, this is what's the arrangement uh, of words, or uh, in contrast to. Is it like syntax? Well, syntax, well, similar, I think, okay. all uh, right. at the sentence level. <laughs>
0: okay, all right. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what collocation is either. Aww. But I'm remembering – no, but I, I know I, – I didn't know what it was before. I know – I understand your um, description of it. I'm thinking about a time I was in I was in my, my master's program, and um, and I worked really – well, you know, I was in a master's program. I worked really hard on a paper, and I had this kind of crabby teacher. I always feel like I tell a story like this <laughs> in every podcast. Uh, and I, I had this kind of crabby teacher who wrote on my paper like every – two pages what is your thesis what is your thesis what is your thesis like an increasing like you know size and all caps and Mm -hmm. um and then like i feel like she was writing in pen bad for her because she finally found the thesis went back like and looked and found the thesis and then like gave me actually a fair reading of the paper and, and i did well on the paper but I always think about that because it's, first of all, a lesson to me, don't grade in pen. Um, and second of all, a lesson to me that that was a teacher willing to go back and, and try to piece it together, right? Maybe mm. my thesis wasn't totally clear, but she gave me the benefit of the doubt.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and this, you know, this isn't a multilingual issue, but it is a generosity issue, you know? Or
2: mm-hmm. yeah. give students um, the opportunities to try, to yeah. fail and then try again. Yes,
0: mm-hmm. absolutely. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it seems like um, in terms of feedback that works for helping multilingual students, a lot of times the feedback that works is the same exact feedback that helps native speaking students, right? Mm-hmm. You need to think more about your evidence here. Where mm-hmm. is your topic sentence? Like mm-hmm. uh, on, on a lot of levels, the, the help is exactly the same and you just need to be able to um, – Set aside the grammar for and collocation. For a moment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, indeed, for the, well, I mentioned the, the 200 level uh, editing and style course uh, for the international multilingual students. Yep. We use, actually, we use a grammar program called Co Grammar for College. Mm. And that's um, a program, online gra- program developed for the first year law school students, okay, for the native speakers. Um, and we found that well, that's exactly what we always talk about for international and multilingual students, and they do not have int- a version for the multilingual international students. Uh, so we just use that version for the native speakers. Um wow. But uh, well, we see the same issue about like verb tense, a yeah. uh, proper noun, capitalization, yeah. or dangling modifier.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> And law students, right? For law students. Yeah, Mm -hmm. known for writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, Mm -hmm. that's really cool.
1: That is. So one of the things you mentioned was, um, for undergraduates in particular, what they're really concerned with is, are my ideas getting across? Am I expressing myself clearly? Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about strategies for helping those students do that?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, that's a very interesting question. Uh, I learned and I'm still learning from my students, so here are some strategies uh, that I tried with my students. Uh, Some students, they have problems with uh, developing ideas, Mm -hmm. okay, they won't be able to develop their ideas until they write something down. (laughs) So we are going to try free write, let them to write for like Mm -hmm. half an hour, okay, Mm -hmm. uh, get all their ideas out, and then we are going to develop an outline, and then we are going to start with the the outline, rather than develop an outline and then um, write a draft. Uh, For some students, very interestingly, some students, they speak better in English mm-hmm. than they write. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, what we try, try is uh, we will converse and then record our conversations, and then the students will go back and listen to the recording and write down the keywords and then kind of transcribe their thoughts from the, the recording into a paper.
0: That's very cool. That, is very, <laughs> that cool. is very cool.
2: But I have to say, that too, I feel like could be useful for everyone. Yes.
1: Teachers wonder, well, what do I do? You know, know with with the different seemingly different levels in the class right or different needs that are represented by these two populations but um you know it's great to hear these strategies that could work for everyone and i think that's definitely one the speaking out loud that's great
0: i mean i also think like these are these are strategies that i mean except for the speaking out loud which actually does work for everybody that would work for any you know college writer but what i think is especially smart about it when it comes to multilingual students is in my experience multilingual students often will be translating from mm-hmm. their first language that's
2: the next strategy i'm going to talk about <laughs> <laughs> all right go ahead go ahead uh, yeah uh, the last strategy uh we uh, we tried is um maybe we can call it a translingual approach mm-hmm. but i know that people define try the translingual pedagogy differently okay here i mean that um student some students they are more comfortable with operationalizing their ideas in their preferred language mm-hmm, environment mm-hmm. Okay, and then um, they will be able to write. For example, if a Chinese student received an, an assignment in English, the student may first uh, think um, uh, in Chinese, okay, mm-hmm. write down some key words, thoughts, and then use the initial ideas uh, to develop an outline in English and then from there a fuller draft. Okay, so I found from my empirical uh, experience, some students, their ideas in English became richer and more sophisticated and more precise at going through this process. Wow. Okay, and it's interesting because scientific studies found that if students speak more than one language, their brains may function in an interesting way, in a more uh, subtle way. Okay, so students may have more, may be able to s- have more perspectives on the same issue so I really think that uh, it's beneficial for the multilingual students uh, if they prefer to f- formulate ideas in their native language first okay and from there um, develop an outline or a draft in English so we will be able to see how ideas generated in different language environments can Complement each other, I would say. Oh. So, like
0: for instance, free write in your preferred language, and mm-hmm. then outline in English. Yes. And then maybe speak the outline, um, mm-hmm. and then transcribe.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Sounds great.
0: Wow. That's totally interesting. This goes against a piece of advice that I often, I often tell multilingual students who are like, I want to get better. How do I get better right now? This year. How do I like? How do I get? up to speed with my English this year. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really work like that. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, it's not a this year, you it know. It takes like, time. Right. And when when I say it takes time, you know, they say, well, what can I do? And I say, you need to live in English. Like, you need to watch movies in English. You need to read the paper. and You know, you mm-hmm. need to read, you know, read English books. You need to speak in English as much as you possibly can. Don't revert to your preferred language. But that seems... Maybe not the best advice, because if there's something that you can do in your preferred language that helps you generate your ideas, then maybe there's something about compelling yourself to only speak in English that harms your
2: ideas. Do you think that's true? Well, um, actually what you just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah is what I was taught when I was a student back in China. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of, uh, that's uh, the principle. You need to dream in English in order to improve, okay? Wow, dream <laughs> in English, i <I've laughs> never said that. That's just amazing. That's my, that's my instructors told me. Um, yeah, and and I believe that a lot of international students, they still uh, stick to the ideas that they shouldn't uh, translate. Yeah. Okay, and that's not a preferred way yeah. of learning English. But writing is a different uh, activity, Mm -hmm. okay? Writing is not just about the language, it's also about your critical thinking, organization of thoughts, and uh, invention of new ideas, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, So I found the translingual approach can work well for inventing ideas, Mm -hmm. okay? And for some students, inventing ideas, generating ideas is important for them. But for the translation part, I don't know. I, I'm not sure about that part. Yeah. Yeah, but I did see that invention part um, could be yeah. worked well with the translingual approach.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, then I don't feel so bad. But it, it does strike <laughs> me that, like, that's not just advice I'm going to blanket give out anymore, because it seems like there shouldn't be this sort of, you have to think of your ideas in English, right? Like, maybe it will help your, your overall fluency to do more and more in English, but it might mm-hmm. not help your idea generation.
1: Right? Right. Yeah. What else do you tell students who are questioning the way that Gina says her students are and the way that mine often are when they say, I just want to improve. I want to improve my, my English. As fast as I can. As fast as I Well, I don't always say it. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you have any other, like, things that you pass along, tips and tricks?
2: Well... Usually I would just say, well, it's just like what I just said, it takes time. And I hope that they can enjoy the communication process rather than like getting a reward or something. Okay, so try to immerse themselves uh, in this culture, in this country and try to try to make communication happen. Okay, And once that happens, they will feel that they are going to improve. If they just want to, for example, I want to do well on this test, and that, uh, that proves that I improved. <laughs> um, I don't see um, that's a point. That
0: is so smart. So it's not just about... I need to do well on my psychology test. It's about I need to be able to communicate things. I need, as you say, to make communication happen Mm -hmm. in multiple contexts, right? Like, I I suppose doing well on a test is one successful form of communication. But if that's your only measure, you're not doing very well.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Wow. Make communication happen. Mm -hmm. I love that. I'm going to
1: that (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Yeah. One thing that I remember, Lori Randall, I don't know if she was in Mm -hmm. Sweetland when you were there, but Mm -hmm. she was our multilingual specialist. In the past, and she she had this idea of keeping a journal of expressions or idioms, especially that they mm-hmm. encountered, particularly in the field that they're pursuing, to try and keep track of like oh this is the way that you express this particular idea mm-hmm. or this is this is a way not the way but a way that I might do this um, and to keep. Keep track of that, which is something that I tell students sometimes who are looking to improve to do.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, that's um, actually what we do uh, for one twenty. Oh, really? At like, so what I uh, I do for one twenty. Uh-huh. Um, for one twenty, the college writing for international multilingual students. Uh-huh. Um, so in my class, we practice academic writing. Um, so the culmination of the class is a research paper a research project in the students. Uh, Uh, preferred area. Um, Usually they just do a research paper in their discipline. So I asked students to read academic papers in their discipline or in the area they're interested in and try to read more and see and then have a list of the words and expressions that people often use to communicate in that specific community and hopefully that community is what they're going to engage uh, in their other courses. So through a reading Those papers, they're going to get a sense of uh, how academic writing looks like, and also they're going to accumulate words and expressions that they will be able to apply immediately in other contexts. And in this process, they feel, oh, Writing is not that frustrating because I will have the available resources. I will have the words and expressions available that I can use in my writing to generate ideas I want uh, rather than if uh, it is um, a writing assignment that is beyond their language scope. Mm -hmm. They need to develop uh, or develop the new abilities of acquiring some words and phrases or look for other resources to find those available resources and uh, it can be time-consuming and sometimes frustrating for the students because they don't know where those words and phrases are available.
0: Yeah. Wow. Listening to you talk just now, I just had this realization that now I'm going to try to put into words and I, I'm, I don't think it's going to go very well, so hang with <laughs> me. So I feel like to a certain degree, students who come into your classes, your multilingual writing classes, and, and maybe also teachers who aren't as um, enlightened about teaching multilingual students have this idea that the only barrier that multilingual students have is grammar. That's all I need help with. Right? But it turns out, like you keep saying, that there's actually writing is a much more complex and complicated process. Mm-hmm. And there's, if you are a person who's new to writing in academic English, actually you have far more to learn than just grammar. And it has to do with the way to, that you put complex ideas together in, in, paragraphs and in a paper, right? And that's not just grammar, and that's not just learning vocabulary, right? But it's something a lot deeper that is akin to, but not exactly like, what a native student, native-speaking student will face.
2: Mm -hmm. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. It's, uh, yeah, uh, writing in a second language, like writing in English, and I suppose that if you're writing Spanish or Japanese, it's going to be the same same thing that well it's very complex. It's about the language, grammar, and also if you're writing it for a particular audience, it's about about the expected convention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, there's is another issue I haven't mentioned is uh, from the psychological perspective. Okay, yes. students like native speakers they may get nervous with writing a paper in a context that they are not familiar with. For international and multilingual students, especially for international students who are new to this country, well, they face multiple challenges yeah. and they all come together in one writing ta- task. And for the instructor, they may not be able to realize that. What they <laughs> they just uh, see is uh, the outcome of multiple factors. Yeah. Okay, and which factor is uh, maybe the detrimental factor? We don't know. Sometimes I found that well, maybe it's just a psychological factor. Maybe the student just lost the writer's confidence and yes. couldn't even think. Yep. Right. Okay. Yes. And that totally dismantled that student's abilities yes. from thinking, organizing thoughts, reading, and also employing a certain language.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yes. The psychological component. It's huge. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I personally found when I when I was in graduate school, there was a period of time. I couldn't even think, I couldn't even function, just because, well, there were a lot of issues going on, and my professor thought, well, you just couldn't write in English. How are we going to do with you? Oh, (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So what, if you don't mind, helped you get past that? Honestly speaking, well, I think that's common, and that's not a secret in graduate school. We all talked to a therapist, yes. right. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not
0: a that's not a language problem, right? right. Like yeah. that's a that's it is a problem related to language, but that is like a like you said, a psychological problem.
2: Yeah, I need yeah. to get. Uh, I needed to get myself back.
0: Right? Yes,
2: I, I needed to feel the existence and myself. Okay, so I will be able to um, function Yeah, again.
0: yeah. I mean, that's. I just feel like that's an unbelievable barrier that a lot of students just don't have to face at all. A lot of even native students, you know, have issues like like the one you're talking about feeling like they can't express themselves right for reasons of, you know, socioeconomic status or or race, but to have the language barrier to be questioned at that basic level, I mean, that's just like a lot of students don't have that problem, you know? Mm-hmm. It seems like a a, a super unfair mark against you.
2: Yeah um, and I would appeal to um, professors, instructors that don't make students, multilingual international students, feel that the language is like the biggest barrier right. in their mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Because yes, it's in not. academic context a lot of students feel like this is the biggest barrier in my life but it's not. No. It's only a small part uh, of their life and why why we use language we we try to communicate so the ultimate goal is communication yeah if you can make communication happen in a precise and authentic way and then that's a success yes i think yes i
0: agree totally yeah
2: well and it strikes me too that communication seems sort of
1: obvious but it's a two-way street right yes it is you know the professor who sits there and is demanding in some way that the communication happen in only one precise way that's perfectly grammatically correct and and according to all the conventions they're just mastered you know they're missing an opportunity to genuinely communicate Mm -hmm. because they're essentially saying I don't want to have to do any work to see what idea you're trying to convey or what you're trying to express um, mm-hmm. Instead, I want it to be sort of handed to me perfectly. That, that that's that's a real missed opportunity for an instructor to learn and to and to genuinely communicate as well. Mm-hmm. It's not very teacherly, like it's at not the <laughs> most basic
0: level, right? Like you're kind of it's it's not a teacherly move.
1: Well, it's more like an editor yes. or something, right? Like it's yeah. a judgment. It's it's like it's does judgy. Th- yeah, does this fit or does it not? Yes or no. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: And if professors can take uh, and open approach to student errors, um, sometimes they may feel joyful mm-hmm. of uh, uh, finding those uh, errors. For example, uh, I had one student who misused the word irony, okay, mm-hmm. I-R-O-N-Y, mm-hmm. okay. Um, and in a student's mind, irony is consists of the noun iron, and also the suffix, yes, why, which yes. indicates <laughs> right. an adjective. Yes. So irony means a lot of iron. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. I love that. <laughs> that's delightful. So yeah, I talked to the students, and I thought, well, yeah, that, that's that's uh, that's logical. <laughs> it that is. Is interesting. <laughs> but that's not the meaning of that word. Right. It's
0: a, it's a very irony.
2: <laughs> yeah. So you can see that students <laughs> tried still tried hard to apply what he knew. Uh, in order to um, use that word, um, although uh, the the use is not appropriate, but still, it's logical <laughs> and and right. there's a lot of ingenuity
1: there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Well, and you having that conversation with the student, I'm sure, really helped them learn about how the language works. I love those moments that I've yeah. had with multilingual students, and I have learned more about the English language than I ever have in trying to articulate the problem and what's wrong. And it's it's just fascinating.
2: Yeah. Yeah um, and in terms of how the arrows may even contribute or maybe how the not maybe not not the arrows but maybe um, um, the idiomatic expressions okay um, yeah um, maybe they can also contribute to the ultimate evolution of the English language because well I think you probably know the the little video um, uh, 10 minutes of the English history no, okay no. do you know it i don't, okay. know. I okay. don't know, right. you know that way. 10 minutes we're going to find english history okay there'll be a link yeah All so right. uh, that video shows uh, the progression of the english language so if you retrace back to the beginning of the english language we'll see that it's actually started from foreign languages and also there are some uncommon common usage that we recognize as uh, errors maybe Yes. okay um but that's how the language evolved so I don't know. um, I know, for example, University of Michigan uh, is a big university with a diverse population, so students speak English uh, in different countries, and then they they may bring in their own way of speaking the language. Should we allow different usages, or should we just promote one usage of the English language? And whether allowing a diverse uh, application of the English language can contribute to the flourishing status of the English language, uh, ultimately. I don't know, but uh, I think that's a good question. I think so, too.
0: So I'm interested in what you were talking about um, uh, when you talked about your technical and professional writing in international context class, because I wonder if there are differences in the ways that multilingual students approach writing an argument or analysis that might make those kinds of writing tasks, especially in English, more difficult? Is, is that the case, that um, there, are, there, there are bigger challenges for students, especially in technical and professional writing, uh, when it comes um, to um,
2: multilingual status? Well, I would say for technical and professional writing, um, while there's a problem with technical professional writing, in English because uh, it's fundamentally U.S. dominated. Okay, so it's uh, kind of operationalized in a low context culture. We have certain genres in technical writing. Okay, Uh, for example, how to write a memo, how to write an email, how to write a report, how to use a deductive pattern. Okay, how to write in explicit direct way. Okay, Um, that's a style uh, for mainly the North American audience mm-hmm. well, for students from, for example, from the what we call the high context culture. So low context and high context theory is uh, formulated by uh, Edward Hall, an anthropologist, okay, based on his research of the organizations. Okay. For the high context culture, uh, people usually um, decode messages. So if you want to understand a message, you shouldn't just rely on the words. You need to try to sense, get a sense of the context of the people, the environment, in order to get some message. So communication is indirect. Mm-hmm. For low context culture, like the US culture, Okay, everything is explicit, it's decoded, it's direct. Okay, mm-hmm. So the problem with technical and professional writing, Okay, maybe it's not a p- problem, it's just an issue. It's, u- it's fundamentally based on the North American culture. So it's direct, it's concise, it's precise, it's kind of linear. Okay, For students, for example, a Japanese student, who is from the typical what, cu- high context culture, the student may not feel comfortable with this kind of writing style, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and some scholars do argue that people in different cultures and countries, regions prefer different ways of reasoning as a result of their social and cultural heritage. Um, for example, Linda Beamer the intercultural communication expert and also a business communication professor. She argues that, um, like Chinese, they prefer to maintain harmony in argumentation. Um, mm. the, US od- the, the, the U.S. audience, they, pref- they follow a linear progression and the Arabics, um, they rely on reputation and rhymes huh. in making a sound argument. So oh, that's, that's her observation. Um, And yes, people do value, I think people from different cultures do value reasoning differently and also they may select different kinds of evidence to make their argument. For example, in writing a cover letter, um, students um, may try to elaborate on their self-reflection on the lessons they gained from a work experience, Well, the cover letter here ask them to elaborate on the objective details from a work experience and also the impact. Okay, yeah. so it's more objective. It's not that uh, self-reflective. But for some students, they feel, wow, mm, that's too um, objective, that's too factual. Okay, there is no sense of uh, humans uh, in this letter. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. Yeah, um,
0: wow. So there, there is like a direct and measurable effect of culture in, in technical and professional writing, especially, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and probably all genres, right? But Mm -hmm. you, you, it's more uh, because technical and professional writing has these, these specific duties that you talked about earlier. It's more visible.
1: Mm. And it just reminds me of how, again, to go back to how Everything is useful for everyone, in a way. Not to kind of paint everything with a broad brush, but making explicit what the expectations of, you know, what the expectations are for a certain genre or what the purpose in writing, what your audience is expecting, that's valuable for everyone, right? And it just kind of underscores the importance of that for, especially these genres that that do have, in technical and professional writing, that do have maybe even more discrete, explicit purposes and, and audiences.
2: Yeah, and I personally um, feel that by broadening technical professional writing uh, and also presentation to the international context, um, people in this country may be able to learn how the genre can evolve eventually in the international context. Because, for for example, for the engineering students, inevitably they are going to work at a multicultural team. Yep. Okay, so are they? Go- how are they going to work with? people from another country, or how about how are they going to work in another country? How about how a mammal may look different in a different country? How a resume may look differently in a, in yeah. a different country? Yeah, okay. yeah. How mm-hmm. a resume may mm-hmm. look different in a different country? That's
1: yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which suggests a broader idea for what these courses should be like, too. Yeah. That it shouldn't all just be about this is how we do it in North America, but and more like this is how it works in different
0: yeah, yes. Places. I think that especially humanities teachers who teach multilingual students think, well, when I teach my students how to write in English, that's giving them tools in their toolkit that will work and like anywhere, right? Like learning to write is really learning to think. And, if, and I'm teaching them really how to think. And that's going to be transferable across languages. And I think to a certain extent that's true. And to a certain extent, it's not, right? Like, to a certain extent, learning to express yourself in another language is just going to make it easier for you to make communication happen in general. But you're also learning a specific cultural recipe for communication.
2: Yeah, I like that metaphor, recipe. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly what uh, we um, discuss in technical and professional writing and communication uh, in, in, uh, cross-culturally. Um, there were all kinds of generalizations like the low context, high, high context culture is one of the generalization, but still a generalization. Uh, it's not um, l- like the tool that you can f- apply and then succeed in every culture. Eventually the students need to do their individual case study and develop sense of the culture and the audience in a specific um, context, in a specific community, and uh, develop their own toolkit uh, for yes. communication. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Yes, that's awesome. That sounds great. Wow, that seems like a good place to end. Yes. Yeah. Does. yeah.
2: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Yuen. Thank this you. This has been so much
1: fun and a great conversation. Thank you for
2: inviting me. I really enjoyed it. We're oh, going to definitely
1: have you back. <laughs> OK, so that's it for this time on Behind the Scaffolding. Thanks so much to Shuwen for talking with us.
0: And thanks also to Phil Cameron for his audio expertise and advice, to T. Hetzel of Living Writers on WCBN for crucial, clutch pandemic recording advice, and to you for listening. And don't forget to check out our next episode about what's on all of our minds right now, Teaching During a Pandemic.